Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest, and we're back at it again today with another great episode for you. So today, we're talking about Black fraternities and sororities, and in particular, we're talking about the Divine Nine. You may have heard about it, even if you haven't heard about it. This is the episode that we're going to kind of walk you through all the different organizations that do exist today. And we actually have some members of those organizations who are going to talk to us later in the show. But to start out, Adrian, we're back here. Uh, Today is March 1st. As you know, last year at this time, we were getting ready to to start off going on our uh, HBCU awareness series. And, you know, we talked to 10 different schools last year. But this year, we want to do it a little differently. We're not going to do the quite the you know, the the HPC awareness series we did last year, but we did want to talk to you about some amazing organizations that exist on the campuses of our HBCU. So I'm kind of excited, Adrian, to get into this. You know, we were part of KKSI. It's not quite, you know, a divine nine organization, but it's a great organization nonetheless. Kind of gave you gives you a little bit of a taste, I guess, of what it's like to be in a frat. But I don't know about you, just to start off, just kind of like, what are you looking forward to learning about, you know, these different organizations? Yeah, it's funny you say that, you know, whenever we were, you know, heavily involved with KKSI, I always thought about joining one of these Divine Nine organizations, but I always just thought I was like, it just seems like too much. I was like, it just seems like a lot of commitment. <laughs> you know, I remember the the, the practices uh, I remember a lot of the late nights from some of the friends that I had who were doing them, even in the white fraternities or rather the non-minority fraternities, I guess is, uh, you know, a um, better way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, that's how, that's what I thought about. I was like, it's just a lot of work and it costs money. And it's like, they weren't as expensive, but I was like that the workload, the money, mm-hmm. I just can't do it. So it's just definitely eager to learn that that those things are kind of some some falsehoods that because i know a lot of people who are able to overcome the time commitment able to overcome the financial burden um so it'll be interesting just to learn about you know that sense of pride that people have uh for why they you know go through all that you know those long nights and rehearsals (laughs) just to be a part of an organization i know we did some with kk side but um definitely not to that degree (laughs) <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not to that scale. <laughs> but I mean, no, I think I, I would echo the same thing you're saying. I, I my my thing was the money aspect. I was like, oh, I'm not putting however I don't remember how much it was, but I was just like non-starter. KKSI was like less than a thousand. <laughs> you know, so it was it was like, I'm not gonna spend that much money. But now not, now that I look back on it, I do wish I had you know, actually taking the this, this step and like you say, just kind of go forward. But nonetheless, like I say, we have some some folks who are part of those organizations. But before we get to speaking with them, we wanted to kind of walk you through all of the Divine Nine organizations. So we're going to kind of do a quick hit style. We're going to go through each organization, give you some background info of when they were founded, where they were founded, by who, and just kind of give you a, a taste of what they are all about and some of their notable members. And so to start out, the very, very first intercollegiate Black Greek organization that was founded was Alpha Phi Alpha, and they were founded on December 1st, 1906 by seven Cornell men 
who founded the organization. And so their notable members were uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Thurgood Marshall. Um, and we have a member of Alpha Phi Alpha who's going to be speaking on the show. So, yeah, Adrian, a, a lot of people, everybody knows about the Alphas. And of course, you got one of the biggest name, if not the biggest name, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was a part of it. So that in itself, I think, speaks to what Alphas and that organization is all about. Yeah. And I mean, you've got, I mean, W.B. Du Bois, Thurgood Marshall. Those are some some pretty big heavy hitters, all three of them. Um, so it's a great organization. I um I, I probably I don't know which one I would have ever been a part of, but I remember looking at their notable members and trying to figure out, like, you know, based off of that, who who you know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like, you know, that's, that's a tough one to beat when you got those three. But to go to another uh, organization, we've got Alpha Kappa Alpha, founded on January 15, 1908 by Ethel Hedgeman, along with eight other Howard University women established Alpha Kappa Alpha as the first Negro Greek letter sorority. Their notable members range from literary Dr. Maya Angelou, STEM Dr. Mae Jemison, politics, our current vice president, Kamala Harris, and even Hollywood, Jada Pinkett Smith. I didn't know uh, Jada Pinkett Smith was in uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha, so that's really cool. I mean, I guess I didn't know any of them except for uh, Kamala Harris. And, Kamala Harris. You know, <laughs> uh, as I was say, I didn't even think Maya Angelou would even concern herself with stuff like that. But, you know, it's it's about connectivity and all that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, back, you know, when Maya Angelou was in college, I'm sure she was probably on some different things. You know, she was know, not maybe. saying she was a party animal, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the organizations probably, you know, you know, were different on campus than they are today. Oh, like when yeah. we think about it, she probably didn't have uh, stepping and strolling back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know now. I think they did. Okay, I think they they may have. So we're not we're obviously not part of the organization. <laughs> so please correct us. <laughs> but uh, yes, I mean they have. That's probably the most well known group out there especially now with vice uh vp kamala harris i mean she takes the cake i mean you got a vice president who was part of your organization who is part of your organization that's that's huge but moving on so the the third uh greek organization that was founded so we're going in order of when they were founded so kappa alpha psi was the third one they were founded on the campus of indiana university on april 15th 1915 and they were actually founded as kappa alpha nu and they were officially renamed to Kappa Alpha Psi after a racist nickname that came up called Kappa Alpha Nig began to circulate. And there was an additional misunderstanding of the fraternity's initials, which was K-A-N initially. Some people thought it was Kansas. And so some notable Kappa Alpha Psi members are Cedric the Entertainer, Arthur Ashe, and one Colin Kaepernick. So interesting little nugget there. I did not know that they were originally named Kappa Alpha Nu, but were renamed Kappa Alpha Psi. That's pretty interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, that is very interesting. It's, you know, trying to uh, rebrand. I'm in a marketing class and that's what, that's what name changing <laughs> is all about, rebranding. And 
uh, sometimes there's a, there's a time for it uh, when you're in trouble. It's like Facebook had to rebrand and now they're meta. So uh, <laughs> another uh, organization uh, to keep this thing rolling here, Omega Sci-Fi, the first international fraternity founded on the campus of an HBCU. Uh, it was established November 17, 1911 at Howard University. Their members uphold the principles of manhood, scholarship, perseverance, and uplift through notable brothers like Langston Hughes, Steve Harvey, and Sterling Brown. Um, I, I definitely know Steve Harvey doesn't look like a uh, fraternity person at all. But <laughs> hey, now honestly, I, I, old I, pimp. I, um, <laughs> I thought I didn't think he went to um, college. I thought he um, from some of his stories, like that he talked about, like on. Um, the, the the uh was it four four kings of comedy i didn't you know seem like he just you know didn't ever make it to college but i guess so yeah no steve is steve has come a long way i mean yeah he's a huge name huge name now and he, you may not think he looks like an omega man but i'm sure steve has a wild side because <laughs> omegas are known for doing that well, if I you think, look at the uh, way he dresses now he probably does that would make sense <laughs> Steve's an old pimp, he looks like. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, Steve is, he was a huge name. My dad was actually in Omega as well. So if I ever did join, which I probably end up will, I would probably be, you know, go Omega uh, if I, when I, whenever I do join, not if. <laughs> but um, moving on to the next uh, sorority after, the next group founded after Omega Sci-Fi was Delta Sigma Theta, and they were founded on January 13th, 1913, on the campus of Howard University, Washington, D.C. And so uh, Delta Sigma Theta was founded by 22 collegiate women with the intention of placing emphasis on academic achievement and public service to those needing assistance. And so notable members include Shirley Chisholm, Aretha Franklin, and uh, Loretta Lynch, who I believe used to be the Attorney General of the United States, maybe, yeah. The one she did, she used to be the AG. Yep, she was. So, because um, remember, she was um, you know, the person who spoke with uh, Bill Clinton. Oh, the tarmac. tarmac. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, but yeah, I think Obama administration, whatever. <laughs> so that's right. But yes, uh, yeah. So there you go. I mean, I I know a lot of people who are deltas. Uh, a lot of people at Mississippi State who are Deltas, and um, they're they're a great organization. We try we got someone from Delta Sigma Theta uh, on the show, so I'm excited to see what they have to say about their organization and and why they joined. But um, that's a big group. I mean, they got some big names as well: Shirley Chisholm and Aretha Franklin, you know, and Loretta Lynch. So they kind of touch music, politics, law. They they cover the bases. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess since you mentioned the fact that we've got some money from Delta Sigma Theta, we should have mentioned the fact that Alpha Phi Alpha and Kappa Alpha Psi, which we've already mentioned, um, they are also going to be represented. So um, we'll get into that in a second segment. So make sure you stick around for that. But let's keep talking about these great Divine Nine organizations. And next one on our list is Phi Beta Sigma. On January 9th, 1914 is when they were founded by three collegiate men, A. Langston Taylor, Leonard F. Morse, and Charles I. Brown, who wanted an organization that exemplified brotherhood, scholarship, and service. 
Notable members include George Washington Carver. That's the peanut man, in case you don't remember. Or I guess not peanut man, but devise a lot of uses for peanuts. Uh, former President William J. Clinton and Al Sharpton. And just so you know, um, Bill Clinton, he's not black. You don't have to be black to be a part of these organizations, <laughs> but um just wanted to make sure to throw that. <laughs> just wanted to make sure to throw that out because he's probably the outlier out of all the names you'll hear today. Very much, <laughs> very much so. I learned something going through this because I actually Googled it, and yes, indeed, it is true. William Jefferson Clinton, aka Bill Clinton, is a member of Phi Beta Sigma. <laughs> so, the more you know. So moving on to the next organization that was founded in 1920. So six years after Phi Beta Sigma came Zeta Phi Beta. So on January 16th, 1920, a sister organization to Phi Beta Sigma was created from five co-eds that envisioned an organization that prioritizes academia to the highest, as well as provides a positive change for humanity. So notable members for, for Zeta Phi Beta include Zora Neale Hurston, and Anita Hill. So another, you know, again, another great organization, but they are the sister of Phi Beta Sigma. Cool, cool. That's good. And um, I want to say we, oh yeah, uh, uh, Zora Neale Hurston uh, mm-hmm. listeners, we talked, uh, rather not we, but our journalist, Mari Johnson, she talked about uh, Zora um Sweat and a couple of different things. I guess we talked about it in our last episode talking about black love and relationships. So cool little full circle there. Um, to go to another organization, keep it in the sisterhood here. Uh, Sigma Gamma Rho, founded on November 12th, 1922. This sorority was founded by seven school teachers and then became an incorporated national collegiate sister collegiate sorority on december 30th 1929 at butler university the sisters of sigma gamma rho are determined to positively impact their community through sisterhood leadership and service notable members include robin kelly and kelly price cool cool yes and and to wrap it up here the the last uh, Greek organization that was founded, this was in 1963, was Iota Phi Theta, and they were founded on September 19th, 1963, by 12 students at Morgan State University. And so their founders were considered non traditional students, and they were inspired by the civil rights prevalent, civil rights activists uh, that were prevalent during the time. And so their notable members include. Congressman Bobby Rush and Terrence T.C. Carson. So that wraps up what is what are nine incredible organizations. Adrian, I'm excited to get into our guests and talk to them about their experiences. But just going through this list, I mean, you, you're hearing some names that are are all throughout Black history who have went on, who have gone on to do some great things and are still doing great things. So it just goes to show our best and brightest. Are you probably going to be part of some of these organizations? And so it, it shows you why they are still around and have been around for so long and why they continue to do great work. Absolutely. That great work is something that I feel like is exemplified throughout all these organizations. Uh, because listeners, if you go to their website, 
you're going to see organizations that are talking about service. They're talking about legacy. Um, they're talking about black excellence. You know, I've been talking about a lot of that throughout the month of February because we've been talking about, you know, black history month, but it's always a great time to talk about black excellence. Um, and I feel like black resilience is another thing that uh, has got to be mentioned because these organizations, you know, they started uh, in the twenties and thirties and stuff like that, where our people were marginalized and discriminated and everything else. So they had to be resilient to keep these traditions and these organizations going. So hats off to them uh, for doing that really, really awesome stuff. But um, what we're going to do uh, listeners we're going to take a break, but before we take a break here, let's give you a little preview into what we're going to be doing in our next segment, because it's not your average episode, like where we're, you know, obviously we're not talking to a guest right now, but we're going to be talking to three guests. We've got a panel discussion right now. Uh, we've got Jasmine Powell. She's a president at the Delta Sigma Theta chapter at Brown University. Randy Hill. He actually is an alumni member. He crossed at North Carolina A&T as a brother of Kappa Alpha Psi. And then we also have Raymond G. Jr. Uh, He crossed with Alpha Phi Alpha at Jackson State University uh, back in our home state. So three great guests to kind of talk about their experience. We've got some amazing conversation uh, to have and some great uh, questions to talk about. So here's your first break. Make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, become a monthly patron. Go to blackagendapod.com and click the donate tab or click donate under the timestamps as you're listening to the podcast. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our panel discussion. It's the whole point of the interview. We've got three fantastic uh, guests joining us. Jasmine from uh, Brown University, Randy Hill, and then Raymond G. Jr., joining us. And so they're here to really talk about their experience um, in these, you know, divine nine organizations, some amazing organizations that we've all heard of. And so the first kind of question I had is, you know, as you all are growing up, not to make you feel like you're old or anything like that, but as you're growing up, I'm sure you probably had your own kind of idea of what it would be like to be in an organization like Alphas or Kappas or Deltas. And I'm sure you formed your own opinions before you joined. And so my first question was kind of like, what did you know about, you know, Black Greek organizations before you joined? And then kind of what ultimately made you actually take the step and actually join and pledge and, and follow through with it? And that's for anybody to start us off with. That could be <laughs> ladies first, Jasmine, I guess. Okay, great. Yeah, I can chime in. Um, I think for me, um, definitely heard a lot about the various organizations um, through family members um, and other friends, people at my church. Um, a lot of women I looked up to um, actually uh, were Deltas. Um, so I think for me, um, always just like looking to emulate um, people that were just doing amazing work in the community and doing um, a lot for um, the Black people um, in America and honestly across the globe. Um, so I heard a lot about that. 
Um, and then obviously, um, getting to college was just, um, seeking that out, um, and got to, um, know the members of the chapter on my campus. Um, and then, um, obviously ended up, um, pledging and, and being initiated now. Um, so yeah. All right. And, uh, for me, uh, so my mom is a Delta, but, uh, as far as my family members, I didn't have any male Greek members growing up, so I wasn't privy to having access to alphas or Qs or Kappas or anything like that. But I knew uh, much about the ladies of Delta. So I was always interested in Greek life. However, I didn't know which one would actually fit me until I actually got to the campus. And when I got onto the campus, I saw uh, different guys in various organizations and the alphas, they just fit me better. Like personality, drive, intellect, they just fit me better. You know, so that's what I went with. I'm about to say, I guess my experience is a little bit different. Um, I, I see that both of y'all got to do it during undergrad. Unfortunately, on my campus, the Kappas were not active during my four years of undergrad. So I didn't get to do Kappa until after I graduated during grad school. So, um, but growing up, it was, Greek life was always around. I had several different teachers and um, principals even when I got to college, professors that were a part of Greek organizations. So I knew it from probably about like five or six all the way through school. I knew I wanted to be a part of a Greek organization in some form or fashion. I got a taste of it in the beginning with KK Psy. And then afterwards, I was like, okay, cool. This is dedicated towards band, but I want something that's more community based, that's dedicated towards people that look like us as opposed to just the greater whole of people in general. So Kappa was the one that stuck out to me only because of the people that influenced me as a child. So I've seen Qs, I've seen Alphas, I've seen Sigmas, but the ones that stuck out the most to me were the Kappas, and that's what I seeked out after I got old enough to go and pledge an organization. Had to wait a longer time, couldn't do it in undergrad, so when I got to grad school, it was just, it was perfect. Nice, that's that's good. That sounds like an interesting story from everybody about you know, seeing a legacy around you of others who were a part of those or, uh, those organizations and wanting to carry that on, or even trying to figure out which organization embodies what you represent and your mission in life. So that's 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 a really interesting thing, and I feel that that may be one thing that's uh, maybe different about the Divine Nine versus other um, uh, fraternities and sororities, uh, which kind of takes me to my. Um, First, my first question, I guess, um, when we did our HBCU series last year, we talked a lot about awareness um, for HBCUs. And I think all three of you kind of talked about awareness uh, for the Divine Nine. And sometimes there's a lack of and sometimes there's plenty of. But with HBCUs, we saw that a lot of people kind of undervalue them whenever they regard them to like a PWI. So I wanted to kind of ask you, each of you, um, have you ever had to deal with somebody undervaluing, you know, your uh, membership in the Divine Nine as opposed to some non-minority organization? And how did you tackle that? Yeah, I can start off again, I guess. Um, honestly, no, I think um, obviously being a Delta, the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, like I think that name carries a lot of weight everywhere. Um, our organization has a lot of um, influential um, women and members. So I think that honestly carries a lot of weight, um, obviously in the Black community, but even um, outside of it. So I don't know if I would say I've had people um, 
undervalued or anything like that. Um, I do attend a PWI. So there may be people that just kind of don't get it and don't understand. Um, but I think overall, um, the sorority's name does carry a lot of weight. And I don't think people really undervalue it um, just because the work kind of speaks for itself. And uh, me personally, I attended a HBCU. So uh, it's like a big deal there. So I, I never came across uh, many minorities that, you know, would undervalue it or degrade it or anything of that manner. So I've never encountered that ever. So. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same as Raymond. I I went to A and T. There, if if it was if it was an organization in general, being that everybody, the bulk of the people on campus were black, whether it was a a, a Divana organization or I'm not sure what it called at other campuses, but the the other council, it insert whatever like your Ken Halleck or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you insert your respective other council name. It didn't really matter because of the fact that you had letters. It wasn't really disrespected either way. So, yeah, I, I've never been able to experience that. Not that I actually want to, but yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's good. I mean, that's, you know, that that's one thing that I, had, you know, was was kind of um, unsure about just because after we had spoken with, you know, we had 10 different HBCUs on our um, show. Uh, and even, you know, of course, you know, your your Howard or whatever, you know, they don't really go through a whole lot. But a lot of the other HBCUs really talked about, um, how they that that perception they had to kind of overcome that um, when it came to other universities. So I just wanted to kind of see if that also carried over to our um, organizations like our Divine Nine. But it's good to see that that's not the case. But you can go ahead, Devin. No, I mean I think it's a good question. And the other thing I was you know going to ask about, Jasmine kind of hit on it already, which is the pressure of being part of an organization that has produced some of. The, the, the biggest names you could ever think of in Black history. I mean, you're talking Martin Luther King Jr., Rita Franklin, uh, Zora Neale Hurston, Thurgood Marshall, and, and even now the vice president of the United States is uh, Kamala Harris. She's part of the Divine Nine. She was a member of one of the organizations. And so, I mean, you're, these aren't like unknown people. Like these are some big names that you are walking behind, walking in their footsteps. So I just... You know, what does it, I guess the question, what does it mean to be a part of an organization that has produced people who've gone on to do amazing things? And just what is it, what is it like being part of that, being able to follow in the footsteps of some giants, really? So Jasmine, I'll start this time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, what's it like? Um, so I know with me being an alpha, we're naturally competitive, like not in a bashful or derogatory, derogatory way, but we naturally uh, like to push each other and like to see how far uh, we can excel and just go on in life. So just being around a lot of like-minded individuals, uh, it's very satisfying to say the least. And I don't think that it's uh, much pressure being an alpha because like I said, uh, when you're choosing your organization, you should truly choose one that really fits you. And when it really fits you and you really embody those characteristics, all you have to do is be yourself. So it shouldn't be much pressure at all unless you picked one for superficial reasons. So now I this is just a follow up for you. Like was was that competitive aspect why you you chose to go alpha instead of 
say uh, no because I wasn't aware of how competitive alphas were until I mm. actually got into the organization. So uh, while on campus, I was on the outside looking in, saying, "Hey, you know, this guy's SGA president. This guy's class president. This guy does this. Uh, he has an internship with Microsoft. He has an internship here, and you know, like, oh, I want to be an attorney. I want to go to law school. So these are the guys that I want to, you know." mold with and build with so i didn't know how competitive it was <laughs> until i actually joined but it's a good competitive though i wouldn't trade it. yeah i would just build on that um and say you know when you join an organization of like-minded individuals it's also really great to have a, a support system and people that are always kind of rooting for you and pushing you to be better um so i think obviously my line sisters um but also just like my stores across the country are always pushing me to be better um so i wouldn't say it's like pressure. Um, if anything, it's just um, really humbling and inspiring just to have that network of people um, rooting for you and committed um, to excellence. Yeah, the, to echo echo what they're saying, yeah, it's less of a pressure and more of a motivation. You you see people that are already moving, making moves, doing what you're doing or doing what you want to do. So you just pretty much, you you have a platform or you have a pedestal to look at and be like, all right, that, that's the direction I need to go in. So yeah, less pressure, more motivation. I think that matters. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> no, you're good. I was just going to say, I think that that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Um, and whenever I, I think about, you know, what the organizations are, are trying to do, um, it's really about, you know, making people feel almost comfortable being, you know, in their own skin, comfortable being black, comfortable, um, you know, standing out uh, just because, you know, Prior to being uh, in college and being a part of those organizations, a lot of us came up in org- in communities where we didn't have the opportunity to do that. And I feel like a lot of the organizations embody such a sense of Black pride um, and Black unity even, uh, which kind of leads me to the next thing that I want to kind of talk about. Because whenever I kind of look at each organization's website everybody gives back. I mean, everyone's contributing to the local community. Everybody's standing for calls, you know, everybody's raising money for something. So how has this sense of black unity been instilled into you as members of the divine nine? Randy, we'll let you go first. <laughs> I was going to call him out. Cause I saw him thinking. I was, I was sitting there trying to word it properly. Um, let's see. <laughs> instilling unity. Um, is more or less been along the lines of you have, I, I can say this at least from our organization. Every organization has its own, I guess, sub circles within it. And you find, you find your niche of people that fit you properly. Doesn't really matter which I, I can't, again, I can't speak for everybody's organization, but at least for mine, it doesn't really matter what type of person that you are. There is a group of people for you. So the unity might not be full length across the board, but there is a circle specifically for the type of person that you are. And your unity is within the, that circle. Does that make sense? There we go. That's, that I, I think that's the best way of, of thinking about it. You, you find your people, your tribe is somewhere within your organization, guaranteed, no matter what type of person you are. The, as, as, we, as I guess the subsets you used to have in high school, your jocks, your nerds, your this, your that. <laughs> You have your circle, regardless of what type of person you are. And that's your unity. I totally agree with what uh, Randy just said. And then I guess also 
to piggyback off of that, um, when it comes to unity, uh, most times you just have to find a common goal. Uh, and once you get a group of like-minded individuals steadfast on one particular goal, it's easy. It's easy, at least to us or to me, to unify. So, I mean, I, I hope I'm answering your question uh, properly, but, you know, uh, it's all about setting tasks and goals to me. And once uh, you get a group of people uh, steadfast on one solid idea, whatever that may be, the unity, it, it comes. Yeah, I would definitely agree with um, what both of them said. Um, and then I would just add, even um, outside of um, your organization, I think the Divine Nine has a lot of uh, D9 unity, like Greek unity together. Um, and uh, building on um, what was just said too, um, if you all decide, you know, you want to serve the community, that's kind of something we can all get behind, right? So even though our organizations are different, um, there's a lot of times like on the yard, like what does this happen? have group service like one Saturday go out and all kind of do service together um so I would just add also it's not just like within organizations but it's across um because we all have the same common goal obviously of advancing the black community um and 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 being of service no I think that's that's a great message and and it's I wouldn't it's not funny but I think it's interesting to hear the unity part you know like how you find your tribe within your organization and how you all are able to to do so much work within the community, not just within your organization, but across the organizations, you're able to work together to raise money for this or fix this, you know, or help out around your community where in a lot of around the country, the the narrative is that black people can't work together, but yet here we are, we have nine organizations that are concrete proof that we can work together. When we get together, we put our hands together and we say, we have a mission. This is what we're going to do we can do it. You all are proof. Like we can do amazing things, but the narrative out there is that we can't necessarily. But I think that's maybe goes to that awareness thing where we already have the undervaluing of, of our HBCUs by the broader community and people in the country who don't think HBCUs are up to par with PWIs. It's not true, but people are going to believe it. But some of that can get applied to us and say, well, they can't work together. They can't do things. But I would say, Look at our Greek organizations. You talk about a lot of not just younger people, but older people who are past their college years, have careers, but they're still able to get together and give back to the community. And I think that's something I regret not doing. I did not join in college and I still may eventually do it in grad chapter, but it's something I do regret not doing and being a part of that because you, once you get out of school, you do need that network, that group of people around you, like kind of like what Raymond was saying like-minded individuals who are pushing you to say, Hey, I'm not here to wish your downfall. I'm here to actually make sure you grow. We can all grow to this because we're all going to the same place. We're trying to get there. And so I think that's something I would regret, but I I think it's interesting to see y'all's point of view of what it's giving to you, but also to see us work together. That's the best part, I think. Well, Devin, when it happens, it happens. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) when it happens, it happens. You know, that's I I definitely share those same sort of feelings because, you know, um, I did, you know, Randy, Devin and myself, we all did Kappa Kappa Psi. Um, I didn't do like Randy and take it a step further. I wish I had um, (laughs) (laughs) just because of, you know, all the camaraderie that you build, um, obviously the connections and different things like that. But just um I, I love the legacy that each organization um, has. I mean, it's one of those things to where um, it's not like you just are a member of, you know, 
FEA or something like that. You're not just, a, you know, you just, it's not something you just did as a resume booster, um, but it's something that you actually want to, you know, be a part of your life. You know, it's something that you want to pass down to your children and hope that their children are a part of it. And uh, it really means something. So that's, it's, it's really awesome. And fortunately um, I'll be uh, going to law school. So maybe there'll be an opportunity uh, for, uh, for pledging, uh, at law school or something like that. But, um, one question went to law school and graduated and all of that. I would probably wait until after <laughs> law school but, hey, like, yeah. I, it, because it, it's taxing. It, it's demanding and law school in itself is demanding alone. And if you add in outside stresses of actually trying to pledge and schoolwork, I wouldn't suggest it, but <laughs> I don't know, you know, what your, you know, you know what you embody. So I don't want to, you know, I don't, I, I, hey, I, I mean, Raymond going to be nice about it. I'm going to tell you, don't do it. Yeah, look, oh, Randy just you know, stop. <laughs> you know, I I had I had a friend that told me to um not try to do my MBA while trying to study for the LSAT and prep for law school, and uh, I felt the the burden of of doing both of those because I didn't listen to him. So I will I'll definitely you know you know I learned my lesson and I'll definitely listen to you, Raymond. And um, okay. <laughs> you know, whoever, whoever, uh, whoever chapter I'll, I'll be with, they'll have to wait until till after after law school. <laughs> right. Maybe by the time I'm governor or something like that, then they'll, somebody will accept me by that point. Yeah, and, and you'll still be a great <laughs> asset. Regardless. It's never yeah, too late. As long as you got right. money, it's never too late. Hey, that's what I always say. You know, if you're rich, you know, you can do whatever you want in America. Uh, everybody wants you at that point. But <laughs> <laughs> one thing I wanted to make sure to um, kind of round off uh, our conversation with our guests here, listeners, um, there might be some people who are listening to this because we've got some younger demographics and we've got some people who are you know, thinking about grad school, maybe, uh, and they might have an opportunity to pledge, but might be on the fence uh, for whatever the reason might be. Um, what's something that y'all would say to them to get them to see the value of joining? So first, what I would say is, uh, if you do decide to pledge, uh, you definitely need to be all the way off of the fence. You need to be fully vested because if you're not fully vested and still maybe unsure, the process can be gruesome and you probably would finish if you're not fully vested. So, uh, and let's see, what would be some criteria to know that you're ready um, what if I what if somebody say, said I don't know how to step and do I, I need to learn how to do that first? Well, see, you see, you'll probably <laughs> eh, but just because you couldn't, just because you can't step or stroll, that doesn't make you, you know, not worthy or unworthy to pledge a certain organization or what have you, because it's more to it than the stepping and the uh, strolling, and hopefully you'll find a brother or a sister. Uh, on your line that's uh, that has rhythm and then hopefully they can teach you or at least have your own beat, you know, but (laughs) probate is one day. Uh, Homecoming is one weekend. Uh, If you're fortunate enough to make it through, 
this is a lifetime commitment and, you know, I wouldn't let the anxiety of possibly strolling, you know, deter you from doing it because hopefully you didn't join to stroll. Hopefully you truly join to put in the work, advance yourself, advance your people. And then strolling is what it is because I mean, granted you, you probably get joked out by, you know, your peers or what have you, but, it doesn't last forever. Like it doesn't matter <laughs> at the end of the day. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Uh, I would say you want to make sure you're joining for the right reasons. Um, make sure you definitely do your research um, into whatever organization you're interested in joining. Um, and yeah, just really think about the fact that it is a lifetime commitment um, and make sure that you're ready to put in the work um, and contribute to the legacy of these um, illustrious organizations. Yeah, to to piggyback off all of that, it is a lifetime commitment. And another thing that people don't tend to talk about, but as transparent as transparent as it is, it's not just a lifetime commitment; it's a monetary commitment. So you're putting your money into this. So please be <laughs> please be concise about what you want because you're paying for it literally, and you're right. not paying for it one time. You shouldn't just be thinking that you're going to pay for this in undergrad. This is all the way through until you until you move on to the other right. side. So it's a lifetime and a monetary commitment. And then the thing about the strolling and stepping and all of that, that's part of the super superficial piece of being in a divine now organization. And another, another transparent piece, your knees and your legs and your elbows and all of this that you need to do strolling is going to deteriorate. So don't, please don't put that as the identity <laughs> of why you're joining an organization. It goes right. away. But the lifetime commitment, the bond and all of that is there to stay. And for those who are interested in uh, possibly joining or already in one, once you get financially secure, just sign up for the lifetime member, you know, little payment plan and knock it out, you know. The sooner the better. Then you won't have to worry about it. Pro tips. <laughs> I like it. No, I think that's a, a, a good message to kind of wrap up, you know, this conversation. I think, you know, number one, understand, like Randy said, it's an investment and your body will wear down. So you think you may be joining for the superficial stuff, but understand that the the concrete, the foundation of the organizations is why people join and why they stay a part of it for so long. So you can't get wrapped up and wanting to look cool on TikTok and Twitter. While it is cool, there's real work that goes on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see. And that's the part that you better focus on before you decide to say, hey, I want to join Alphas or I want to join Kappas. And it's cool. You get to wear the T-shirts and all that. But there's real work that takes that, you know, that takes place behind the scenes. So um, I appreciate y'all just being truthful about it, because a lot of people don't say that. They'll just be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's great. You have the name, wear the T-shirts, buy the apparel, <laughs> go on trips, you know, whatever. But the worst. You no, know, there's, there's work. <laughs> there's work Those are all. called T-shirt wears. Yeah, the worst. <laughs> the worst. No, that's yes, right. I, I mean, it's yeah. it's one of those things to where you know if every, everything that's worth something, you got to put something into it. You know, you you get out. You know what you put into it. So I, I definitely feel that um, a lot of the organizations. There's been you know Devin talked about the the you know the people, the big hitters, but each individual person has put in something to make the organization what it is today and why they're you know so strong now and why y'all are able to talk about them with such pride. So um, we appreciate um, each of you kind of representing um, your organization and kind of talking about this. 
um, listeners, we hope you were able to kind of learn something about this and be inspired. Um, we just, you know, H, you know, March is HBCU Awareness Month, and we didn't want to do another series, but we did want to talk about Black fraternities, Black sororities, uh, just to kind of edify that level of HBCU-ness, uh, and we hope you enjoyed it. But we're going to give you a break. Uh, make sure you stick with us. we got to do our ending so you can get some insight into what we've got for you in the upcoming week. So we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give a few dollars while you're at it. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. So first up, you can look forward to hearing me, Adrian, again this Saturday, March 5th, 2022. We're going to be bringing you another edition of the Weekly Roundup. This will be Weekly Roundup number seven. We got plenty of news to get you get to you. As you know, with everything that is going on in Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine, we're going to have another update with that. So make sure you tune in this Saturday, March 5th, for another edition of the Weekly Roundup. Then coming up after that on Tuesday, March 8th, we're going to be back again with you. This time we're going to be talking about Democrats and their messaging. They can't seem to get it right, or is that really the problem? So we're going to dig into what is going on with Democrats and the messaging and why it's not resonating the same, not only in the Black community, but also in, in the Latino and other communities, there just seems to be a disconnect between the policies that the Democrats actually support and how they're messaging those things. So make sure you tune in. That should be another great conversation as we get ready and start looking towards the midterm elections this November. So you got two great episodes to look forward to. Let's tune in on Saturday, March 5th, and then come back to us again on Tuesday, March 8th, to hear us talk about the Democrats and their messaging. So Before we get out of here, we also want to let you know that you can help us out, not just by downloading and listening to the podcast, but you can actually donate to us. And Agent's going to let you know how you can do that. Absolutely. Thank you, Devin. You know, listeners, we talk about, you know, donating around this time of the segment or around this time of the episode all the time. And you probably get tired of me, you know, saying the same thing as far as why you should donate and all that kind of stuff. But I'm always a why person. I, you know, I always go back to the why for anything because the why is what you go to to remember, you know, why you should be doing something. You know, the why is what, you know, grounds you to your purpose. And that's what we want to always remind you when we get to this point to say that when we're asking for money, it's for a purpose. And that purpose is to really build and edify our community to represent that black excellence and black resilience that I was mentioning earlier. Um, that's what the Black Agenda podcast is all about. That's what Devin and myself are trying to do. And that's what we're going to continue to do with your help. All you got to do is go to our website, blackagendapod.com. Or if you want to, just scroll down through the timestamps right now. There's a donate section right there that you can click on. Either way, you're going to get to the same place where you'll see our monthly patron program. When you sign up to give to us, we also give back to you in various ways. So make sure you check that out. Like I said, on our website, blackagendapod.com, click the donate tab, or in the timestamps, click the donate tab and start giving. 
And listeners, while we're in a very charitable mood, let's talk about our charity of the month. And we know that this is March, so we got a new organization, a new charity of the month. And for the month of March, we are talking about the Common Ground Foundation. The Common Ground Foundation empowers and uplifts youth from high potential communities to become future leaders. Our Our specially curated programs focus on character development, civic engagement, health and wellness, technology, generational wealth, entrepreneurship, career exploration, creative expression, and leadership. Founded by entertainer Common and his mom, Common Ground Foundation provides a holistic curriculum that encourages youth to achieve academic excellence while inspiring them to realize their dreams and create an impact in the world. Their motto, they come to us as dreamers, but emerge as dreamers and believers. So really cool organization. You know, March is HBCU Awareness Month. Talking, you know, this is an organization that's trying to do something like HBCUs and build the generations ahead uh, by paying it forward. So remember the Common Ground Foundation, new charity of the month for March. But uh, remember, this is founded by Common, so he's got plenty of money. So before you decide to give to them, give to us, uh, and then give that extra to the Common Ground Foundation. That's right. Make sure you help them out, help us out. We could all use a little bit of help <laughs> during these times. And before we go, we wanted to give another thank you to our guests who participated in our panel Um, So Jasmine Powell, she's the president of the Delta Sigma Theta chapter at Brown University. Uh, Mr. Randy Hill, a member of Kappa Alpha Psi. He also graduated from North Carolina A&T. And then also a shout out to Mr. Raymond G. Jr. He's a member of Alpha Phi Alpha. He uh, pledged at Jackson State University. So shout out to those three for giving their time and talking with us and letting us know, just giving us a little, you know, a view into their life. And uh, as a member of some wonderful, wonderful organizations. And so we hope you learn something, listeners. We hope you can take away at least some history about the Divine Nine and some awesome, awesome organizations. And maybe, you know, maybe you find one that fits you. Like, like Raymond said, find one that fits you and do some work in the community. So for me and Adrian, we've enjoyed bringing you this episode. Make sure you tune in the next week, uh, this Saturday for weekly roundup number seven. And then the Tuesday after that on March 8th to hear us talk about Democrats and their messaging. So until next week, we'll catch you next time. 